morning, everyone. You guys are much more friendly than early church, let me tell you. <laughs> Maybe not. If we haven't met, my name is Paul, and um, uh, if we have met, my name is still Paul. And uh, could someone remove this heckler, please? <laughs> I take back what I said about friendliness. And uh, I'm from Evening Church, and it's great to be part of uh, this meeting this morning. Thanks for having me. Did you know that it's estimated that you spend about 50% of your time awake thinking about money, how to get it, how to spend it, how to get more, how to save it, how to invest it, how to protect it, how much you have, how much you need. You spend 50% of your waking time thinking about money. That's the estimate. I'm not sure how they get the estimate but I would reckon it's pretty close to the mark. If anything, it might be just a little bit on the low side. Money dominates our thinking and our choosing. And of course, money is incredibly important in our society and our culture, isn't it? It shapes our entertainment, shapes our sport, shapes our governments. Economic management is one of the key agendas on our election at the moment. It's even suggested, of course, that money makes the world go round. Money matters. Money is a powerful thing in our world and in our lives. Which is why, of course, that in the Bible, God has so much to say about money and wealth, property and possessions. It's why Jesus in his teaching seems so frequently to be on about money And that's why we're going to spend uh, uh, the next four Sundays together thinking about money because it matters. It matters that we think about money in the same way that God thinks about money. It matters that as saved people, our wallets and our purses and our bank accounts be sanctified along with the rest of our new lives in Christ. Money matters. Now, I need to warn you that uh, because there is so much material in the Bible about money, we're not going to come even close to doing uh, all of that material justice. In many ways, this short teaching series is just a beginning to what I hope will be further discussions and conversations and prayerful reflections. That's my hope. What's my plan? Well, my plan is uh, to camp down really in one chapter of the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's lots for us to learn about money in that, one, uh, in that one chapter and so 1 Timothy 6 is going to be almost like our base camp. We're going to start there each time and we'll return there each time but from there as our base camp we're going to sort of explore the rest of the Bible together. And In 1 Timothy 6 there are at least four ideas suggested to us about money, four topics if you like and there are our four topics we're going to explore together which Wayne drew our attention to earlier. I, um, blessing, idolatry, contentment and generosity and so today we think about blessings. So it would be great to have your Bible open at 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's an outline of the talk on the inside of the bulletin, don't be alarmed, Um, be excited, the Bible's cool but uh, most of those verses if not all of them will be up on the screen so if you have your Bible open at 1 Timothy chapter 6 that will hold you in good stead. How about we pray, ask God to help us.
Thank you, Father, for this chance to uh, give some time to you and your word and to begin thinking about this important topic. Father, we come to you as people who need your help. We come to you as people, Father, whose thinking and whose choosing is so much dominated by money. But we confess, Father, that so often our thinking and our choosing is uh, not aligned to your word. And so, Father, we need to understand your mind on these things and we need to submit to your word in these things. And so we pray, Father, as we look at your word together that you'd help us to tremble before your word, to be humble before it. Help us, Father, to recognise where our thinking is askew. Confirm us, Father, in where our thinking is right. Excite us, Father, by just uh, the vision of your word. And we thank you, Father, that your word is living and active and so practical and profound. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, whose sword your word is. And Father, we want to be your people. And so as we hear your word, help us to respond with trust and obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We know it's interesting, but uh, often as Christians we approach the whole topic of money negatively. We're ready to be told that money is bad and that we're bad with money. And uh, maybe already, uh, since you've found out the topic of the next four weeks, maybe already you've now sitting there and you've steeled yourself to feel guilty for four weeks. You're ready to be beaten up by the word of God for four weeks and if you can walk out of the room feeling guilty, you know it's been a good morning's work. Maybe you're thinking, I won't be here next Sunday, that's a shame, isn't it? I don't know. But I do know that guilt and feeling bad about money is not the starting point of the Bible. The starting point of the Bible is the truth about God, that God is a generous God who seeks to bless his people. And so that's where we need to start in our thinking about money. The letter of 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul. He's passing on his instructions to his apprentice, his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul had left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to lead and strengthen the church that he'd planted there. And so in the letter we find instructions about dealing with false teachers and prayer and how men and women ought to relate to one another and leadership in the church and how widows should be cared for and so on. In fact, Wayne taught us from the letter a little while back and you can find those talks on our webpage. But our focus for the next four weeks is 1 Timothy chapter 6 because in chapter 6 Paul has lots to say about money. And our particular focus today is in fact verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. Verse 17. It would seem that uh, in the church at Ephesus there were uh, at least some, perhaps lots of wealthy people. And in verse 17, Paul has a particular command for them. Let me read it for us. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's our focus, focal verse, if you like. In fact, really the last phrase of verse 17 is our particular focus. 
The true and living God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a God who richly provides for his people everything for their enjoyment. In a nutshell, God blesses his people. The riches that these people in Ephesus enjoyed came from the kind and generous hand of God. God is not a stingy God. God is a generous God who richly provides for his people everything for their enjoyment. And friends, that's spelled out all so clearly throughout the story of the Bible and yet so often, you know what, we don't believe it. We don't believe that. We don't believe that God blesses his people. And our failure to believe this truth about God causes us, in fact, great problems, great confusion and leads us to foolish and disobedient choices. And so that's why this morning I want us to come together on a sort of a a quick Kentucky-like tour of the Bible. We're going to call it the Blessing Tour and uh, because I need to be reminded and you need to be reminded of what the Apostle is teaching us here in 1 Timothy 6, that our God is a generous God who richly provides for his people everything for our enjoyment. So you've got to jump on the bus with me and we're going to come back to the very beginning of the Bible, back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of humanity. I pushed the wrong button there. The right button? Oh, there you go. Um, In Genesis chapter 1, God creates humanity. Um, He makes them male and female, his image bearers in his creation. And listen to what he says to them in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God blesses his people. God richly provides for his people everything for their enjoyment. Of course, you know, It's this very truth about God, his generous blessing, that almost immediately the devil attacks in Genesis chapter 3. In the form of the serpent, the devil poses the tempting question. He asks them, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You hear the accusation beneath the question, don't you? God is stingy. God's blessing cannot be trusted. If you want to be blessed, you'll have to go alone apart from God. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And you know what? Tragically, humanity believed the lie. They listened to the accusation and they were cast out of the blessing of the garden in Eden. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that is still the lie that we need to confront. That's the lie that Paul's confronting in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 and that's the lie that we're confronting together today. For even beyond the fall, even outside the Garden in Eden, God's determination to bless his people continued. It wasn't thwarted by Satan or by sin. And so if you were reading the Bible just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 12, 
Genesis chapter 12, you could read of the Lord's great promise to a man named Abram to bless. To bless Abram, to bless his people and through him to bless all peoples on earth. It's a promise to richly provide for his people everything for their enjoyment. It's a promise that needs to be embraced, accepted and trusted. And Abram, back there and then, did just that. He believed the promise. And in a real way, you know, the rest of the story of the Bible is the story of God keeping that promise to bless. And initially, the focus of that promise was the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham's descendants, the land of blessing. So jump back on the bus with me. We're going to come forward in time now to the book of Deuteronomy and uh, listen to the words of Moses um, speaking to the Israelites before they were to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, into the land that was promised to Abraham. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and, and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Can you hear what the Lord God is promising his people there? Can you see the character of God being revealed in those promises? Not stingy, generous. The Lord God promises to richly provide for his people everything for their enjoyment. Children, wealth, crops, prosperity. The land would flow with milk and honey. And so the people in the land enjoyed the blessing of God. But you know what? God's blessing didn't just uh, fall on a national scale. It fell on an individual scale as well. And in the book of 1 Chronicles and chapter 4, we can see an example of that truth. We're introduced in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 to an Israelite living in the promised land by the name of Jabez. An honourable Israelite, we are told. There are only two verses in the Bible attributed uh, who talk which talk about Jabez and in the second of those verses 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10 he prays let me read you what it says Jabez cried out to the God of Israel oh that you would bless me and enlarge my territory let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain and God granted his request God richly blessed Jabez with prosperity in the land just as he had promised in Deuteronomy. But the story of the history of Abraham's descendants in the land is not just one of blessing, but also one of curse. Back in Deuteronomy 28, Moses didn't just promise blessing as the fruit of obedience, he also warned of curse as the fruit of disobedience. And as the story of the Bible unfolds further, we discover that tragically, repeatedly, persistently, Israel failed to trust God and his promise of blessing and instead sought blessing somewhere else. 
just like Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, Israel in the land believed the lie that the blessing of God was not to be trusted and that there was somehow other, better blessing to be enjoyed apart from trusting God and obeying him. It's a stupid, tragic choice. Listen to how the Lord himself describes the choice in the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See the error? Appreciate the tragedy. Israel turned away from the one who offered true blessing and pursued a path that led to no blessing at all. And just as Adam and Eve were banished from the garden in Eden, so Israel were banished from the land promised to Abraham. and They were exiled from the land of blessing. And so really the big question to be asked at this point in the Bible's story is, is that the end of the promise to bless? Is there any hope of blessing beyond the exile? Is there any hope of the blessing of the Lord reaching the peoples of the earth? And the astonishingly wonderful answer that we find in the Bible at this point in the story is yes. Sin cannot quench the Lord's desire to bless. Sin cannot thwart the Lord's ability to bless. To bless his people was the solemn standing promise of the Lord God and bless he will. And so in the midst of the exile, through the words of the prophets, the Lord once more promised blessing but this time on a scale that transcended merely the promised land of Canaan. Listen to the Lord's promise in Isaiah chapter 65 of nothing less than an entire new creation. Isaiah 65 verse 17 Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And down to verse 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Now that's a fantastic promise of blessing. It's the continued promise of the Lord God to provide richly everything for his people to enjoy. But folks, we need to notice at this point in the story that the place of blessing is no longer the promised land of Canaan. Indeed, it's no longer even here in this creation, broken and stained as it is with sin. Neither the old promised land nor even this creation, you see, is able to contain the blessing that the Lord has in store for his people. It's too good. It's too big. And so the place of blessing that God promises now is the new creation in the age to come that the Lord promises to deliver for his people. And wonderfully, 
the Lord invites his people to enjoy it. Listen to his invitation in Isaiah 55. The Lord says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Gracious promises of blessing from our generous Lord God. And so when the time was right, the Son of God himself entered into this old creation in order to deliver on God's promise of blessing. Listen to Jesus' promise in John 6 and hear in it the echoes of those promises from Isaiah. John 6 verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's the same promise of blessing given by God throughout the scriptures but now it's centred in and on the person of his son, Jesus. And it's a promise that must be believed, accepted, trusted. And you know, not long after making that promise, giving that promise, Jesus went to the cross in order to win the promised blessing for his people. As the good shepherd who would lead his sheep into pasture and life, life to the full, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. And in his death, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, absorbed in himself the curse of God for our disobedience, for our seeking blessing apart from him. And in his resurrection, he won for us the new life of blessing. Life that begins the moment someone believes the promise, but life that will extend into the age to come in the new creation, unhindered by sin and stain. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The promise of God given to Abram to bless was answered fully and finally in the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so we read this description of Christians in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And friends, that is what it is to belong to Jesus, to be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, adoption, forgiveness, cleansing, grace, to enjoy blessing now in this present age but even more importantly to enjoy the certain hope of eternal life in the age to come. It's that blessing, that future blessing that is described so movingly by the Apostle John when he was shown that new creation by way of vision in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying 
or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The promise given to Abram, kept. The promise given to Isaiah, kept. The promise given through Jesus, kept. The promise to bless. Friends, the testimony of the Bible is clear and I reckon overwhelming. God blesses his people. He is generous and he loves to bless his people. And so we return to our starting point in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 with the truth that God richly provides his people with everything for their enjoyment. It's an incredibly important truth about God that we've got to appreciate. But in appreciating it, we need to respond to it. And the only sensible response, the only right response to that truth is to pursue the blessing of God. So point two on your outline. They're not equal points, don't be alarmed. Point two on your outline, pursuing the blessing of God. And you know what? That is exactly what the Apostle wanted those rich Christians in Ephesus to do. He wanted them to pursue the blessing of God. Have a look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. I'm going to read all the way through to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The Apostle Paul, you see, he wanted those rich Christians to not put their hope in their wealth, which although a gift of God was still so uncertain, he wanted them to put their hope in God, the God who blesses his people abundantly. He wanted them to use their wealth in a way that would lay up treasure for themselves in the coming age. He wanted them to look beyond the present age to the age to come. He wanted them to take the blessing they enjoyed in this age, their wealth, their money, and he wanted them to invest it in the age to come. He wanted them, in other words, to take hold of the life that is truly life. And if I could rephrase that, he wanted them to enjoy the blessing that is genuine, full, true blessing. Because you know what danger they were in because of their wealth? You know the danger they were in? They were in danger of being too easily satisfied with too little blessing. They were in danger of being too easily satisfied with too little blessing. And friends, let me tell you, that is the same danger that we are in also. Our danger is that we might be too easily satisfied with too little blessing. We need to understand and appreciate the blessing in all of its abundance that God seeks to give us for our enjoyment. It is a blessing that transcends this creation. It transcends this age. God wants us to enjoy life that is really life. Life to the full. Life everlasting. Life in abundance. Remember Paul's words back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Christ Jesus, though he was rich, 
became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now what was the rich that Paul was talking about? Was he talking about dollars and cents when he wrote that? Of course not. He was talking about a wealth that exceeds mere coins. He was talking about a wealth that extends into the new creation. He was talking about a wealth that never runs out. A wealth that is never threatened by interest rates or bank fees or theft or depreciation. He was talking about the life that is really life in the kingdom of God. He was talking about the life that Jesus gives to his people. Thirst quenching, hunger satisfying, life to the full. And that is the blessing that God promises his people in Jesus. And that is the blessing we should pursue. Brothers and sisters, what a tragedy it is when people like us pursue merely financial wealth and security. What a tragedy it is that when we aim so low. What a tragedy it is when Christians find satisfaction merely in the uncertainty of earthly riches. That is a tragedy because our God, our gracious, generous God has so much more on offer. So much more on offer. And even more tragic is when the pursuit of merely earthly riches is dressed up in spiritual clothes. I mean, how stupid it is to take something like that prayer of Jabez back in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and say to Christians here and now, that should be our end goal desire. That should be our prayer today. That somehow we should take the prayer of Jabez and pray it so that God might enlarge our shareholdings or increase the success of my business or bless my investments. That is stupid. And yet there's a whole industry complete with merchandise that is built on such stupidity. A quick look at the Kurong website this week tells me, tells me that there are some 40 titles available to be bought concerning the prayer of Jabez and doing exactly that sort of stuff. Can I say the problem, the problem with that use of the prayer of Jabez is not that it seeks blessing. That's not the problem. The problem is that it seeks too little blessing. They've latched onto one bit of the Bible story and ignored the end. Its focus is on this age, not the age to come. But Jesus promises blessing that extends into the new creation. That's, that's of course the problem with the whole health and wealth, prosperity doctrine that's so popular and is polluting so many churches today. It's too easily satisfied with too little blessing. God wants so much more for you than simply wealth in this age. And I reckon, you know, if Jabez lived this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, as a faithful believer, his prayer would no longer be, extend my territory in this land on this earth. His prayer would be not nearly be that small. Jabez's prayer, I reckon, would be something like, Lord, help me to lay up treasure in the age to come. I want to take hold of the life that is truly life. I want to enjoy the spiritual blessings that are mine in Christ by your grace. I want to seek first your kingdom. And I reckon that would be the prayer of Jabez today and I reckon God would be glad to answer it. And that ought to be our prayer today as well as we seek the abundant blessing of our generous and good God. 
Brothers and sisters, please know this. Everything that you have, the money in your bank accounts, the house you live in, the gadgets around your home, the car parked out front, the superannuation egg, nest egg waiting for you, the clothes in your wardrobe, all of that stuff is given to you by God who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. And so enjoy them without guilt. But don't be distracted by them. Don't be distracted by them. Don't set your hearts and minds on the gifts. That would be idolatry. And we'll return to that next time. Instead, set your hearts and minds on the giver. In the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, set your hope on God, not on what he gives, but on God. Thank him for his abundant blessing in this life, but especially in the life to come. Seek first his kingdom. Believe the promise of Jesus that he can and he will satisfy your deepest hunger and quench your deepest thirst. In other words, take hold of the life that is truly life. Don't aim too low, will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your abundant blessing. We thank you for your generous heart. We thank you, Father, for the truth that you richly provide for your people everything for our enjoyment. Father, help us to believe that truth. Help us to believe the promise of Jesus that he offers life to the full. Help us to believe that he truly is the bread of life. Father, we are sorry for so often aiming so low. Sorry for so often being so easily satisfied. Father, lift our eyes above this present age and help us gaze upon the age to come. Help us to long for the kingdom to come. And even, Father, as we enjoy your blessings now in this present age, help us not to be distracted from the blessings of the age to come. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to be excited, Father, at the blessings that await. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.